right? If you have your Bible, um, you can find your way to Romans chapter 5, or you can open your app and find your way to Romans chapter 5. Um, there should be sermon notes on our app. I always say that, and then I, rem- then I have this fear that I forgot to publish it again. It's always this backward. But um, I'm pretty sure I did. If it's not there, just tell me later. Just act like you're taking notes. But um, we're, we're in this kind of some of the final stages of our second part to our series through Romans. Um, we've, we've kind of shifted it where we're going from here, so I don't know the exact number. I think it was 52, 57 weeks that we, were gonna, that we divided Romans up into, and uh, we're kind of nearing the second phase. It was, it's called God's provision because we started, and if you look at the first of Romans, you get this huge understanding that, that there's this problem. That, that we have a problem, and, and it's associated with our sin, and that, that Paul's very clear that there's no one that's outside of that, that, that every person brings their problem to that equation. And so we looked at our problem, and now we've kind of transitioned along with Paul as he writes to, his, to God's provision. So we brought the problem, and now God has provided a solution to that problem, and then we continue on from there. But today, we, we find ourselves starting Romans chapter 5. Um, and it's probably one of my favorite passages, these first just five verses, just because there's so much and there's so much impact just in these five verses. So if you will, follow along as I read. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we will continue. So in Romans 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we, receive, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you will pray with me as we begin our time today. Father God, I just and I thank you for your truth. God, I pray that, that each time we open your word, we would be humbled by the thought that we have access to your truth, your powerful word. God, I pray today that, that your spirit would open our hearts, God, that you, would, that you would pierce our hearts with a surgical precision that your, only your spirit can obtain. And I pray that your truth would mold us and shape us, that we would not try to apologize for your truth or change the way it affects our lives. God, I just thank you that we are not alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what we see in this, if you'll kind of, I'm going to kind of jog your memory if you were with us all the way back before um, Christmas season and Advent, we finished Romans 4, and that last part of Romans chapter 4, Paul's talking about, or really all of chapter 4, Paul's talking about that, that Abraham was justified by faith, and what he was doing then, he was connecting the Gentiles who were sinners, which is the second part of Romans 1, and then in Romans 2, in the first part of chapter 3, he talks about how the Jews were just as bad as the Gentiles, they were all sinners, they needed help, there was no way to earn salvation, and chapter 4 Paul tells them that Abraham was justified by faith. And so he is creating this idea, he's putting out this idea that every person 
is justified by faith in Christ. And when we take that to ourselves, we can see that the Old Testament people, they were justified by faith in Christ's promised works. They were looking forward to the cross while we are justified by faith in Christ's completed works as we look back. But his act on the cross was saving for all people, that there's not somehow a different salvation for the Old Testament and for New Testament believers or us today, that it's all in Christ. And so now he kind of transitions. That's why you get the therefore. Because of justification by faith, now we have the fruits of that justification. And that's what we're looking at today. We're, we're looking at some of these remarkable fruits of the justification that we have in Christ or this, this declaration that we are not guilty. And we've said before that, that Christ's imputed righteousness, his righteousness that was given to us is, is the opposite side of the same coin as justification. So we get Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We're declared not guilty in, in the process of salvation. And so now we get the fruits of that justification. What, what does it mean? How does it affect our lives? What are some tangible benefits, if you will, of justification? Because we all look for that, right? We've been marketed and trained to look for what we're going to get out of stuff, right? Every, every, every transaction, every, every relationship involves transaction. Like, what are you going to get out of that? And so what does justification then provide for us? Or what are the fruits of justification? We're going a little crazy today in the world of sermon preparation because I don't have three points and they don't alliterate, okay? So if you're used to that, blowing your mind, all right? But we, there's four, I, I look at that and I'm like, there's four really fruits that Paul puts out there. And so I didn't want to try to combine them into a neat three. So we're just going four. So just bear with me. It'll be okay. We'll get to the end. Nothing happens if you go past three points anyways. So, I mean, as far as like everything's not going to fall apart. But anyway, so as we get started in that, it's, it's amazing when I read that first verse that we see that we have peace with God. Right? If you look at that, therefore, because we're justified by faith, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What an amazing statement. What a remarkable understanding that we have peace with God. It's, it's crazy when you think about it because we were sinners in active rebellion, yet now through Christ we have peace with God. It's not just this ceasefire with the the possibility of war happening again it's complete peace it's not this okay I'm going to save you but then I really don't like you right you can you can forgive people maybe you had relationships like that that where you're like okay I can I can forgive them but I still don't like them right and somehow we often attribute that to God that, that he doesn't actually that there's not a complete total restoration of that relationship but there is when we're justified in Christ we have peace with God Active rebels sinning against a holy God now are in peace with him. I mean, we could, honestly, if you understand that, you can just stop there. Right? That's all we need. We have peace with God. And um, we're declared not guilty. And, and the result of that declaration of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us, we have peace with God. What an amazing thing. I was looking through Facebook this week. And, you know, I, I watched a video, and then if you, you get that now, that you watch one video, and then it stops, and so the next one just starts, right? And you just keep going. And before the time, you, you get to the end, you don't even know how you got to that video. Like, it doesn't even, it's not even the same people anymore. It might have the same theme, I guess. I don't know how they do that. But I was looking at him, it was a pastor. And he was preaching, it was a clip of a pastor. I don't remember who it was, so you can probably Google it and find it. 
Um, it was Paul Washer or something like that, I think. But um, he said in there, he was, he was talking, he was preaching, and he said, what is the most terrible thing that I can tell you? And it kind of intrigued me, right? Like, ooh, what is this, right? You want to know what's the most terrible thing that I can tell you? And, and he just kept building up. That the, and then finally he, he, let it, he said, the most terrible thing that I can tell you is that God is good. And at first I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, where are you going with that? But then it makes sense if you think about who we are in relation to who God is. That it's terrible for us to understand that God is good because we're not. Right? Because we're not. And so if, if the judge, if the one that's judging everyone is good, then that terrifies people that aren't. Right? If you think about it, if you've been on Big Divide out here, the speed limit is 35, which it's impossible to drive 35 on that road. Right? Those of you that live down this way, you can't do it. I mean, there are some big hills. I always want to claim gravity, right? Like gravity outdid my brakes. Like it just took me down. But, it's, but, but think about it. You, you come up over a hill on Big Divide, you're going 40 or 45, which is the average that most people drive. And you see a cop, turns on his light, and you're getting pulled over. Okay, who would you rather have as a cop? A cop that kind of sees, that understands that, that it's hard to go 35, and so it's okay. Like he sees the speed limit is kind of gray. You have some hope in that, right? You're like, mm, maybe I won't get a ticket because he understands. That's who you'd want to see rather than a cop that says, absolutely, this is a law of black and white. Right? Because you know you're getting a ticket then. And that's, that's what he was saying in the sense that that's why hearing God is good is so terrible. Because if you're a sinner in rebellion, the last thing that you want is a God that's holy and righteous, unwavering, because you know the sentence is going to be condemnation. And that's exactly what makes this statement that Paul says that therefore we have peace. So amazing. Why do we have peace? Because it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a fruit of our justification. That's why we can be honest and talk about being sinners and not feel destroyed by it. That's why we can declare that yes, I am a sinner and it's okay. Not because it's okay to be a sinner, but it's okay because I know that even though God is good, he sent his son that I did not deserve so that I might be righteous. So that my sin might be covered. That in Christ alone I have everything. So if, if you've never submitted your life to that, then, then what happens is you hear this gospel, you hear that you're a sinner, and you're like, man, there's no way out of that. And that's when, no, there's not. You can't earn your way. You can't negotiate your peace with God. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, our Lord, died at the right time. That's where Paul continues that we'll go to next week. We have peace with God. What an amazing fruit of justification. Rebels sinning against a holy, righteous God have now been offered peace. It's complete, total reconciliation. What an amazing thing. But it just gets better. Like that's kind of the, the springboard into that. If you look at verse 2, we see that through him we also have obtained access by faith. So not only do we have peace, we have, ac- we have access to God. Right? And what a, what a crazy thing to think about. And, and maybe if you've been in church for a while, you don't think about that there are those who don't have access to God. Because it's only through Christ that we have that. Remember, on Christ's death, what, was, what happened? The barrier was broken between God and man. Better, better put, it was torn, right? The veil was torn 
in the temple. It was showing that there's no longer a separation, there's no longer a barrier. Because in Christ, we have access to God. And oftentimes, we would overlook verse 2, right? Okay, we have peace, that's great. And then we get down into the little list of, of suffering and endurance and care. But look at, I, I urge you, look at the magnitude that we have access to Christ. Access to God. That bridge and that barrier has been bridged. That once separated humanity and, humanity and God because of sin has been bridged because of Christ. We have access to God. But it gets better than that, right? Look at it. We have access to what? Into his grace, which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so we have to look at that last part in relation to the first part. We have this, what, what have we obtained? We obtained access to God by faith. But how have we obtained it? This is where we often go off. We've, we've obtained it because it's an act of grace of God. It's an act of grace of God to understand that, that his glory will once be returned in us, in creation. And so what we have to understand is that it takes an act of God, it takes an act of God's grace to bridge the separation between man and him. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to change that. It takes an act of God by extending grace, and that grace that was extended was Jesus Christ. Right? When we look at his life, death, and resurrection, we see that that was the, the bridge for the gap. Had to be done that way. But what happens is so many people, so many people spend so much energy trying to bridge that gap. They spend so much energy trying to earn and trying to, because they hear that they're a sinner. They might have been told that their entire life. And so they're trying to fix themselves so that God might love them. So that God might accept them. So they might have access to God. And they spend so much time, so much effort trying to bridge a gap that they can't bridge. Trying to engineer a way across this span that they can't do. And so what we have to understand is this justification gives us this fruit of access, and so we need to stop performing and submit our lives, right? We need to stop performing to gain access. We need to stop working to achieve it. We need to surrender and accept it and submit to Christ to gain it. Because that's the only way that it'll ever happen. We have access to God through Christ. So stop pretending that you're better than you are because you're not. And actually, when you pretend, it just puts you further away. When you perform to gain something, it just puts you further away because you feel like somehow that it's you doing that. You can't gain access to God because you're not holy and righteous apart from Jesus Christ. So the way you gain that, the way you achieve it, is you submit and you surrender. We have access to God. We have peace to God, but we also have hope. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Paul says, not only that, so we hope in the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's two things about hope that we need to look at that Paul gives us first is that we have joy and hope. We rejoice in hope. It's the second part of verse 2. 
We rejoice in hope. And what we need to understand there is there's a difference between worldly hope, which is fleeting, which doesn't last, right? We can hope for things to happen, but it's not going to. Right? There's a hope in this world that we might be okay, but you can't guarantee that. You can't, it's fleeting. It comes and it goes. We say it to encourage one another, but really it's like, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I hope it will, right? But I hope my job won't be miserable in 2017, but really there's no way to prove that, right? There's no, and you might have already failed at that, right? We got a weekend. Maybe it's already, well, same old job. Well, it is, but we don't have a hope to fix that. That's not the hope that Paul's talking about. He's talking about a biblical hope, and a biblical hope is certain because it rests on the promises of God, right? This, this hope that we have that we can rejoice in is a biblical hope because it is resting on the promise of God. It's not contingent on our life here. It's contingent on his promise that then when we look at Christ Jesus, we see that it's been fulfilled. So we can have a hope, but it's not a worldly hope. It's better than that. It goes beyond that, but look what we hope for. We hope for the glory of God. The first week of our Advent series, we talked about us being in rebellion. And what we started with, we went all the way back to Genesis. And we looked at the idea that our messed up world that we have now was not originally created that way. Right? It was perfection. Right? And so what we do is we hope for the glory. We hope to the return of that perfection. We hope to the glory. We bear the image of God, but it's been marred. And so we hope that one day, and we know that through Christ, that that promise will be fulfilled, that his glory will be returned. So this isn't the end. There's something greater because we have a hope that God's glory will be restored, that that God's glory will once again permeate every inch and aspect of creation, including ourselves. The small annoyances will no longer be there because we'll be surrounded by God's glory. Right, think about that, that we will need no sun because of God's light. What an amazing transformation. We have a hope that God's glory will again return. We have an image and a dignity of God. And see, that's why the church then should always be a proponent of every person because all people were created in the image of God, that all people have some aspect of that and therefore they have dignity and value and worth. That's why we pursue the health and benefit of every life from conception to death. There's dignity in life. That's why the the church should be the most diverse place because there's dignity in every ethnicity, every race, every socioeconomic level. Because all have the dignity that comes with bearing the image of God. And we hope, and we have a hope that that one day will be fixed. That that glory will be returned to us. It's a hope that is certain. But then we also see a process of that hope when we look at verse 3 and 4. We see that not only that we have this biblical hope, but there's a process within that. And, but what we have to do is we have to read that within Christ affecting everything. We can't just sit there and say, okay, well, we rejoice in our suffering. Why do we rejoice in our Because we have confidence, because we know who Christ is. But we can't just say, okay, we rejoice in suffering, because suffering is going to produce endurance. Endurance produces character and character. If we just look at that apart from Christ's actions in each one of those, 
we're left just trying to work it out ourselves, and you're, no, you're frustrated. You never get past suffering because you can't endure through suffering apart from Christ in your life. Right? It just gets worse. Maybe you've tried that. Maybe you've, had a, you've been suffering. You just try to like, grin and bear it, right? You just get through it. Like If I push through it, eventually I'll get through that. And maybe you have some success in that, but it never lasts. It never lasts. Right? We have hope because God's promise, and it's certain. But we have confidence because God's Son. And that confidence allows us then to look at that process that Paul gives us of hope and understand that Christ is involved in everything. So we see that, that when we're suffering, when, you, when you're suffering, and maybe you right now, maybe you're suffering, and it could be light, and it could be terrible. But when you're suffering, what you do is you, you push and seek and press into Christ. And when you're able, when you're suffering to press into Christ, then that enables you to endure through it. So suffering and pressing into Christ creates the endurance. It's not suffering and getting over it, and then all of a sudden, hey, we endured. It doesn't happen. So we suffer, and when we're suffering, we know there's nothing else, but we think, wait a second, I have hope because of God's promise. His promise pointed me to Christ, and so I'm going to seek and press into Christ further as I'm suffering, producing endurance. And then as you start enduring, you realize that you're able to endure as you walk along seeking with Christ as you continue to live your life. So you don't just seek into Christ, you don't press into Christ in suffering so you can produce endurance and just leave Him behind. No, you realize that you're walking with him. That's where that footprints poem is jacked up. Because there's never two, there's never two steps of footprints. Christ carries you the whole way. You can't do it on your own. Endurance with Christ produces character. If you have a different version, I think it's the Holloman Christian, is one I know, it says proven character. So you endure with Christ Walking alongside, carrying you the way, submitting to him, pushing into him even further, you endure, and that produces character. This proven character, this character, because it, you have this long stain, this is who I am. But then when you have character, you realize that it was only through Christ that that character was ever given to you, or that it was ever able to create. And so you have character through Christ, and that points you to the hope that is certain, because you've realized that it's Christ the whole time. And so when we look at that, it's not just a list. It's an, it's an action of the gospel and Christ working in your life. that You can rejoice in suffering as you seek into Christ. But if you don't seek and press into Christ while you're suffering, you're going to be miserable. And your life is going to be difficult. And you're never going to overcome it. Seek Christ. If you're suffering now, the best advice I can tell you is to seek Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, you have to submit to him because he loves you. Suffering produces endurance. It's with Christ that we endure. And that's, that's me. I know that right now, the, this time in my life, for like the last year and a half, for some reason, I've just been plagued with anxiety. It's weird. I've never had it before. And not too long ago, I was running errands before Christmas, and it was one of those errands where one leads to seven, right? And so I was doing all this, and just for some reason, just overcame me. Like, my, I was shaking, so I called Lindsay. I was going to, I said, I'm just going to go sit. I'm just going to read. I'm going to pray. i got to figure something out. I can't, because right now I'm, like, freaking out. 
And I opened my eyes, I'll start reading. I'm like, I'll just start reading Romans. That's where we've been. And I got to this passage, Romans 5, and it made sense. But I don't have to worry because I have hope. That my anxiety dissipates when I see that the hope that I have in Christ is what allows me to endure. That when we suffer, we endure, not because we can bear it, because Christ already did. We press into him. We walk with him. We have hope through him. That's why Christians can rejoice in suffering. That's why martyrs have shed their blood for Christ, because they know there's something greater. And that's when we understand the impact when it says, and hope does not put us to shame. Why does hope not just put us to shame? Because it points us to the love of God. And that's the last fruit of justification that we look at today. Is we have love. We have peace, access, hope of love. Because God's love has been poured out to us. Right? And this, you, can't, you can't end it better than that, right? God's love. We can just go home, right? The problem is there's two aspects of that that you can look at. There's two ways you can look at that. What love is Paul talking about? He could be talking about our love for other people, the agape type love, or he can be talking about God's love for us. I think that that both apply, but I think one flows from the other. And so you get commentaries and people are like, it's this, it's this. I'm just going to say, well, they're both, so we'll go with that. But we have to look at them separate so we can understand it. So God's, if, it's, if it's love for others, our love for other people, then if you've been in church at all, you've heard that we're just supposed to love people, right? You've heard that. It's a big thing right now. Just love people. Christ loved people. He ate, he ate with sinners. He loved people. The problem with that is oftentimes the people that say just love people because Christ did forget to talk about the fact that Christ loved people by pointing out their sin every time. Right? The, the kids are about to start talking about the woman on the well, right? He didn't love her because he talked to a woman or a Samaritan. He loved her because even though he spoke with her, he confronted her at the exact point of sin where she was living her life outside of everything in Christ. Right? So we can't just love people because we don't have the capacity, right? Because people aren't lovable. I don't know how many times I've said that, Right? People are difficult and they're selfish and they're grumpy. And then you can talk about other people, right? Because you're difficult and selfish and grumpy, right? That's just how, it doesn't matter. You can understand that if you have kids because from the day that they're grumpy, right? They just cry, selfish, but everyone is. So we can't just love people. We have to have a catalyst that allows us to do that. So we have to ask ourselves, what compels us to love people? Because if it's just charity or sorrow, it could be pride. We're going to love people because look at who I am. So it's a prideful way to love people. If that's, our, if that's what is driving us to love others, then that's not really loving them. It's loving yourself by saying, look what I've done. But the real catalyst for loving other people is God's love for us. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Right? Because look what he says. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I think he's talking about conversion. I think he's talking about a time when we hear the gospel and his grace is affected in us by the working of the Spirit, giving us a new heart. And, and what happens is then we all, all of a sudden understand that he loves us. 
Right? If you think about it, if you've submitted your life to Christ, if you've heard the gospel in that sense, there was an awareness of God's love for you despite who you were. Right? That you felt terrible, your life was crazy. That, but all of a sudden you realized that he loves you. And there's some of you that he loved you and you understood that even when you weren't willing to say that he existed. Yet you heard it and for some reason you knew the reality of that. God's love for us is an amazing thing that we don't do anything but receive by the Spirit's action. And God's love is a continual reminder of the promises of God leading to the validation of our hope. When the Spirit implants this love or this awareness of His love in our hearts, every aspect of our life changes. Every aspect. We suddenly have relationships and we view them differently. Because God loved us, we can love other people. That's the perfect way to have a gospel implication in your life is to realize that you were unlovable yet Christ loved you. And so you can love those that were unlovable, not because they deserve it, but because you understood that you didn't deserve love, yet you gained it. God's love for us propels us to love other people. Because we realize that it was self-sacrificing. That God's love cost him everything and cost us nothing. But not only does God's love propel us to love others well but it propels us to love him I mean, that's the ultimate question you have to ask yourself if you if, if you're understanding or you're trying to figure out if you're a Christian or how that works just answer the question do you love Jesus because you can do a lot of things in Jesus name and not love him and if you don't love him you're not a Christian it's that it's that simple has the love of God been poured out into your heart by the spirit because when it does, everything changes. You love him. Do you love Jesus? It doesn't mean saying things the right way. It doesn't mean doing things. It doesn't mean ministry or service. Just do you love Jesus? Because if you do, everything else changes, right? You've probably known people who for a while... You thought, man, I think, the, I think God saved them. I think it's worked. And then they fade away because they didn't really love Jesus. They loved benefits that they thought they got from Jesus. The love of God poured out into our hearts, propels us to love others, and ultimately to love him all the more. Because we realize then what he's done for us. We realize that he loved us even when we were sinners, even when we were in active rebellion, even when we dared not believe that he exists, God still loved us. He sent his son. And so it propels us to go out and preach the gospel, but also drives us deeper into him, knowing that. So do you love Jesus? Because only in Jesus will you find peace with God. Only in Jesus will you find peace with God that you can't find anywhere else. And we all search for peace, right? We try to find peace of mind in everything that we do. Only in Christ will we find peace. Do you love him? Only through Christ do we have access to God. 
Right? It makes so much sense when you look at it in the backwards order. Only through Christ do we have a hope. Right? I know a lot of people that say they have hope, but they're miserable. Because they don't love Jesus. Because they don't understand that. And only in Jesus can we have an awareness of God's love for us because we see what an amazing gift that was. So if you've never submitted your life to that, it's that simple. You believe, you repent, you turn, you love Christ and allow him to claim ownership over every aspect of your life. That's what I love in that last song, that Jesus commands my destiny. Commands. He's everything's Lord and Savior. It's not just Savior and then set you off. He's Savior and Lord. Commands everything. So if you've never submitted your life to that, then understand there's nothing that you can do to fix yourself so that he'll love you. He's already proven that on the cross. He loves you despite you. Submit to him. And if you have submitted to him, do you seek and push into him to know him more? Because only when that happens will we truly understand the fruits of the justification that Paul's laid out for us. And only then, when we truly understand that, can we live our lives despite what the world throws at us and be okay because we have a hope that surpasses everything because it's firmly secured in God's promise fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just got to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that if there's those here today that don't know your son, God, I just pray that, that your spirit would work in their hearts. God, that they would know that, that they are loved. God, that they would know that you're real and active. I pray that they would hear that there is peace offered even though we're sinners because of your son, Jesus Christ. God, that, they can, that we can have access to you. That we have hope that isn't fleeting. We have hope that is secure because of your promises. That we would know, God, that they would know that they're loved. God, I pray that that as we live our lives as individuals and as a church, that everything we do would be an outcome of an awareness of your love for us that propels us to know you more and to love other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.